Hey everybody, I am recording this on Thanksgiving Day, so I hope you all are taking some time to enjoy the holiday. And so today is going to be our season one finale. Thank you to everybody who has supported me over this first season, and I hope to be back in the beginning of January or so with season two. I'm going to take some time to relax a little bit, gather some interviews, do some editing, and just, you know, making the holiday work. So today I'm going to air my interview that I had with a good friend of mine, Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson, he marched for Tennessee State University. He played saxophone and he was also the drum major at Tennessee State. Joe is one of the most humble people I know because he would not tell you this if you approached him, but he is a very successful session musician and musical director. Pretty much everybody who you're smooth R&B station would play or your adult contemporary R&B station would play like, you know, Freddie Jackson, Phil Perry, Angela Wimbush, After Seven, Yolanda Adams. He's been either a session musician or he was the musical director for their tours. So he's a very successful dude, but real chill about it. And I think he has a really good story to share about how he went from, you know, being a, a student at Tennessee State and uh, to becoming a really successful studio musician. And he's also cut a, f- a few solo albums himself. So anyway, without further ado, I hope you have some fun this holiday season. And here is my interview with Joe Johnson. Okay, I'm here with my buddy, Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson, musician extraordinaire. Joe marched for Tennessee State. He was actually the drum major at Tennessee State. And he has gone on to have a very successful music, professional musician career. So we're going to get into, you know, all of his, um, his adventures and things. But as far as, you know, playing in, in bands for certain areas, but First, I want to say, you know, hi, how you doing, Joe? What's going on? What's up, Chris? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You are one of the few people who knows me well enough to call me Chris. Like only my my good friends and family call me Chris. So I, I'm glad you are one of them. <laughs> I, I appreciate being one of them. So I don't take it for granted. Good, good. All right, Joe. So let's start off. Your, your main instrument is saxophone. Correct. And... And when did you start um, playing the sax? Were you in sixth grade or younger? I started actually in the seventh grade. Um, I went to a junior high, well, junior high and senior high was the same in Memphis. So I went to the same school from seven to 12. So um, I started playing um, in the seventh grade. And oddly enough, I got an F the first six weeks of band. You, how come? <laughs> um, I didn't get it. I didn't... Um, well, I mean, I didn't participate, didn't buy a mouthpiece, didn't do any of the things. Now, mind you, I got one F and everything else was straight A's, but I, I literally got an F the first um, six weeks in band. Wow, that is, that's hard to believe, but wow. Okay, so you're like a professional musician and you <laughs> you got an F in, in music. That is interesting. So uh, I meant to ask you before that, but you're from Memphis, right? I am originally from Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised. I stayed there till 
going to Tennessee State University and uh, have lived in Nashville my entire adult life. And I guess for maybe the last two years, I've been uh, living between Nashville and Memphis. So, um, mm-hmm. okay. but yeah, I've, I've, I'm born and raised in Memphis, but I've actually lived most of my life in Nashville. Okay. I would think that coming from a place like Memphis, uh, the music scene being what it, what it is, I would think that, you know, kids were molded pretty early to play an instrument. Did you find that to be the case with you? Um, yeah, for the most part. I mean, there is a wealth of musical history in Memphis, Tennessee. I always tell the story about how I started playing saxophone. Coming home with my mother and my grandmother, um, we were from church one Sunday and we were taking my grandmother's best friend home. And she said, you need to play the saxophone like my grandbaby. And I, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. Cause I really wanted to be a drummer and my mother would not allow me to play drums for some reason. So she was like, you need to play sax like my baby Kirk. And uh, come to find out later, she was talking about uh, Mr. Kirk Whalum. Oh, wow. uh, so, um, there's just a wealth of amazing musicians that have come out of the Memphis, Tennessee area. Oh, wow. That, that is incredible. So y'all, wow, you've already had like ties to somebody who ended up being successful on their instrument too. Um, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Most definitely. Good. I think Kirk is maybe 10 years older than I am. Uh, I'm really good friends with his brother. And I mean, I, I get to talk to Kirk every once in a while and stuff like that. I talk to his brother every couple of weeks, Kevin, who's an amazing vocalist also. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, from Hank Crawford to, it's just a, a, a wealth of talent out of the city, man. It's just unbelievable. Wow. Wow. So you pick up the sax and, you know, you're in high school. Let's talk about, you said you went to the same middle school and middle school and high school. That was one, you know, like six through 12, right? Seven through 12. I went to Westwood High School. Um, okay. Okay. In Memphis, um, under the direction of Mr. Emerson Abel who oddly enough uh, was Isaac Hayes' band director. He was, he was known, for, he was a person that kicked Isaac Hayes out of the band. He kicked um, him out. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I, I actually have a picture of Isaac and us, Isaac and myself after a show one time laughing about Mr. Abel. And, uh, but he is uh, another Memphis music legend, amazing arranger, had hands down probably the baddest bands ever in Memphis, if not in the country. Uh, from his time at Mananza's High School, then moving over to um, Westwood and retiring from Westwood. Okay. Well, yeah, well, that's what, the next question I was going to ask was, how was your high school band? Did you do, like, high-stepping, core style? What, what oh, we had did a, y'all play? We, we, and, and I'm not being funny, but anybody from, from the South would tell you, like, we had a college band in high school, 200 pieces, um, show-style band, great repertoire, amazing musicians. The band has done the Macy's Parade. They've done the Rose Bowl. It just was a powerhouse band back then. And I'm not saying that just because that was my band. It was a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So y'all did high-stepping and all that good stuff? Yeah. Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Okay. Abel, was a t- he was a Tennessee State graduate also. Oh, okay. Is is that what made you want to go to Tennessee State or what, what made you decide on, on your alma mater? You know, 
I could tell you a bunch of things, but probably my girlfriend at the time was going to Tennessee State. Um, <laughs> and I think we broke up maybe the first day of school. I was like, uh, no, nah, I can't do this. So, um, Typical. <laughs> but, then, but then I had, um, had a good a friend of mine, Kevin Rimmer, who was a, a great trumpet player to the day that went a couple of years before us. Well, he went a year before me to TSU and a couple of other of my classmates that uh, went to TSU. So I think my year, maybe 15 of us went to Tennessee State. Uh, one or two went to Southern and a couple of other places and stuff. But, it, okay. you know, it, um, yeah, but, I, you know, I would say it was a mixture of, of, of my peers, most definitely. Uh, I remember I got a scholarship to go to Jackson, Southern, Tennessee State, and a bunch of other places. Matter of fact, Dow Taylor gave me a, a scholarship. I may have been like in the ninth or tenth grade at the time when I got a scholarship to go to Jackson. What? Uh, Were you a prodigy or something? <laughs> I was a decent player. Uh, you know, I was a de- I was a decent player. I often say I feel I feel like a better player then than I do now. And you know, I've been a professional musician thirty years. But Mr. Abel had us on it. We were on a different level. And not to say that there weren't other programs across the country that were developing those type of musicians. But he did a fine job of, of steering us in the right direction musically. Okay, that's great. That's great. So um, you graduate from high school and you get to Tennessee State and um, this was in the early 80s, right? Mid 80s? I got to Tennessee State in 1986. Okay. Yeah, my, my years are off. So, okay. Well, I mean, I I'm, just, I'm old, so it's just such a long <laughs> time ago. Okay, so let's talk about like your camp. Did you did you go to camp or pre-drill in Tennessee State? And if so, what was that like? Yeah, um, of course, we came in a couple of weeks early for pre-drill, which was really interesting. You know, the getting up at five o'clock in the morning, the four four rehearsals a day. It was um, it was interesting. I mean, we worked as hard, if not harder, than the football team, most definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, it, but it, it was an experience that I would not change. And I think it, it has most definitely molded me to be the, to the musician and the entrepreneur that I am today. But it was, you know, five o'clock up, six o'clock doing gym stuff, um, you know, running and cardio and exercising, nine o'clock rehearsal, 12 o'clock rehearsal, four o'clock rehearsal, eight o'clock rehearsal, do the whole thing over again. So, you know, I, you know, typical, band camp 101 for the most part but it was really a shell shock coming from a you know even coming from what i would consider an advanced high school musical program you know it was it's was, it was really interesting and stuff like that plus as, as skinny as i was then i still hated exercising <laughs> um, so, you know that was that was something well, that's interesting that you said something about like it was kind of a shell shock for you being from, you know, such a good band. Was it more of like the mental or was it just the long days that had you? And you well, said you didn't like the exercise, so maybe that you was know, it. I was I was thinking about this earlier today. Back then, you didn't know what to expect. Like today, you know, you, there's with YouTube and just technology, there's just such a wealth of information on what to expect when dealing with 
you know, college, college programs, um, then you didn't really know what you were getting into and stuff like that. So um, it just, it takes a lot of hard, of, I mean, of course, you know, it takes a lot of hard work to pull that thing, that, that, that seven and a half minute show off. Um, right. And it takes a lot of prep, um, a lot of marching up and down the field, eight to five, over and over and over and over and over and over again until it's right. Um, so... And yeah. coming into what, again, not being biased with, you know, Tennessee State was one of the premier, mm -hmm. well, still is one of the premier college marching programs. So, um, you know, it just, it was a shell shock, you know. Yeah, I and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you, but I've I've always been a Tennessee State fan, um, and you know they are one of one of the best you know HBC band programs out there. I think like if you look at the overall package, you know some, you know some groups have better percussion, some have better trumpets or whatever. But I think like when you look at the overall from top to bottom, I think Tennessee State is one of one of the greatest programs out there. Um, but that's that's Christie's opinion, you know. <laughs> that's just mine. I mean, it's it's it, it's a lot of great programs over there. I think my thing about that I could say about Tennessee State University is that the band has been, for the most part, when you look at the scope of the university, it's been very consistent. It's always mm -hmm. been, in my opinion, at the very least, a top five program. It's a it's a you know you know, it, even on what I would consider bad years or off years with the group, they could at least struggle to be a, a, a top five, you know, four to six program, in my opinion. And that's like the absolute worst years. So, you know, yeah, I, I would I, agree with that. I would agree with that. You know, I, I have a lot of pride about the university and what's been accomplished over the years. But I'm not one of the alumni that was that I'm not blind to things. And I can give a very honest unbiased opinion about the program where it was where it is and where it's going so i'm not one of those people that you need you know you see people that post stuff all the time and it's just mm -hmm. like nah bro that's not where y'all at you know what i mean mm -hmm. I, i'll kind of call what it is in my opinion you know mm -hmm. and, I, and i'm okay with that so when you were there prof graves was was the director correct prof graves and uh benjamin kirk he was the assistant they were the the guys Okay. Well, you know, um, I think I might have told you this way back in the day, but um, I found out through my mother, um, Prof. Graves actually taught my mother when she was at A&T in the band. Um, she taught her clarinet, which I know was his main, what, that was his main instrument. You know, he, he was at A&T before he went to Tennessee State, and my mom was Correct. a major at the time, and that's how he, she learned how to play clarinet was from him. And even um, when he was the director, and I would like... <laughs> I would go to y'all's games and when you all were playing A&T and I would come over there, go to the band and talk to Prof Graves. Like he still remember my mom. Like I just, you know, told him, you know, whose daughter I was and he still remembered her. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. He's a, an amazing individual, amazing director. You should hear when we used to hear Prof Greer talk about how fine of a clarinet player he was. He didn't bring his clarinet out a lot when we were in the band, but you could hear, you would always hear the stories about how much of a uh, outstanding player that he was when he was in college and stuff like that at Tennessee State. But he was, I couldn't tell you how long Prof would, I would probably say he, he most definitely 35, if not 40 years at Tennessee State. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. So what was his personality like as a director? Well, Prof was, he, he, he was no nonsense, most definitely. But he, he was stern but fair. Okay. You, know, I, you know, you know, stern but fair. You know, it wasn't a whole lot of BS. And, and see, the, the makeup of the Tennessee State Band is not a whole lot of room for BS there. That's why, you, you know, there's never a whole, you never hear a whole lot of hazing stuff going on, a whole lot of, you know, the band was on a trip and all the irons came up missing and stuff like that. Like, we didn't have a whole lot of room for, for nonsense because we wore the aristocrat badge and what our dis definition of being aristocrat work, what, what that definition was, we, we wore that to heart. So, you know, we traveled in suits and ties and the women in dresses. You know, we, we ran the thing like a business and that came directly from Prof. Graves. Okay, yeah. You know. All right, so your freshman year, um, what were some of the games that stood out to you? I, I'm assuming you played Jackson State back then too. First game was Morris Brown in Atlanta. Okay. I think Fam came to Nashville that year. Jackson came to Nashville that year. Saw Southern and Memphis, which was probably my favorite game, playing Southern and Memphis. Um, because, wow. well, I had buddies that had graduated from me that went to Southern. You know, for, for us, it was always, and no disrespect to any of the other programs, but again, because of it, it was Tennessee State, FAM, Southern, and Jackson. Okay. Those were the bands that we that we focused on. Okay. Um, so those were our big games. But you know, all you know, it was it was always a challenge to face those programs. So to see Southern in my hometown, it you know that was a that was a treat. They put on a great show that that year. Some of the footage is still floating around. I think that was a year in the fifth quarter we marched over in front of Southern. And, yes, and, uh, I love um, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was um, but I mean, even that, that came from in 85, the year before um, in Detroit and finishing a parade when Tennessee State and Southern was playing and Southern blocked the street off after the parade. So we had to face them. So it's like, they had, like it was some whole, it was some different stuff going on back then. See, and I, I live for stuff like that. I really do. But maybe not in 2020 or, you know, the modern age, because these these folks are different now. But, oh, I live for some, that, that's some, yeah, that's we, some we didn't have stuff right there. I love it. Then. We didn't have all that stuff back then. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was a lot of that. I think, I want to say maybe it was 86 or 88, Jackson, um, Jackson put one on us one of those years, if not both, to be honest with you, and marched over to the band room. So we're in the band room hearing our, you know, after the game debriefing, and Jackson is just outside wailing. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that, that will go on back then. Okay. So drum major, did you have to go through drum major tryouts? Were you, like, appointed? How was that? Yeah, we did. We didn't have drum major tryouts then. We were you. Your directors picked the drum majors. So I say I was a freshman in '86, '87, '88. I was section leader. '89 and '90, I was drum major. Okay. So what was that like? Like, were you were you surprised that 
that they asked you or were you kind of expecting it and how was it being um, I wasn't I wasn't I was honored let me say that I can't necessarily say I was surprised or I mean I, I again I came from a, a program that was a 7th through 12th school and I was drum major 9th 10th 11th 12th grade oh okay um, I didn't realize you were drum major in high school too Yep, I was drum major from the ninth grade till the twelfth grade. And I can't dance a lick. I, I promise you, I cannot dance. Like the pageant, pageantry side of being a drum major was not really my thing. Now I can fake it from 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 the fifty yard line, most definitely. But that was I was more about the music side of things. Okay. Um, you know, that's you know that's kind of where my passion came from. The the pageantry and all that was just part of what came with that leadership responsibility uh, okay. being drum major most definitely was an honor and you had some big shoes to fill in that program from you know back when ben butler who founded the texas southern band was drum major to marty and grant and it's just so many you know th those were big shoes to fill right so uh, do you have any like memorable games as as drum major uh, that you wanna that you wanna mention? Um, <laughs> I think the most infamous game that we had was Fam '89. Okay. Which would have been the first time the Tennessee State played Fam in Atlanta. It later became the Hundred Black Man Classic thing. We had a thing that nobody knew about um, for big games, and the band would come back. Fam 1989, that was the, I don't know if it was the first 100 Black Men or it later became uh, the 100 Black Men of Atlanta Classic. Mm -hmm. um, but that was a big game for us. And we had gone and called 12 and 1 o'clock rehearsals that, that, that week, meaning that after band practice, the band showed back up to rehearsal at 12 or 1 o'clock that morning to prepare. You know, great show. Um, you know, we got a chance to run the book the way it, it, it needed to be, you know, run. Directors loved the show. You know, everything was cool for about two weeks. And two weeks later, just in the middle of rehearsal, I guess some of the neighbors called campus security and said, hey, the band was out here at 2 o'clock in the morning rehearsing. Uh, what's going on? So we got in trouble. And uh, I, Benjamin Kirk, who was the assistant, he was my the jazz band instructor at the time too, and, and lead arranger. You had to, you had to know Kirk to love him and, and to get it. So he made the statement and, you know, and the band, they were supporting, you know, what had happened. And what the directors did not know was this was a practice that we had been doing for years. So, I mean, at least for the last two or three years, we were coming in for certain games in the middle of the night and rehearsing and stuff. Because we were, one thing about the program, we were always serious about the music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were going to make sure that the book was right. So, anyway, he made the statement to me in front of the band. Well, if you hadn't asked to be the damn drum major, we wouldn't have this, <laughs> we wouldn't be dealing with this right now. And me being 20 and not thinking, I said, well, shit, I didn't ask to be your damn drum major. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and um, walked out, 
went to the went to the dorm room, got my uniform, turned it in. So now I actually ended up marching the rest of the year and the next year and stuff like that. But a lot of times my my um contemporaries or people that in the band with me will always say, I didn't ask to be a damn drum major. So this is one of the funniest things that ever happened to me at Tennessee State. Um Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, it, it was it was it was frightening, but it was hilarious. Wow. So I'm I don't want to assume here, but you were a music major, correct? You know what? I actually ended up being a business major, but I took all of the music classes and stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've I've never I tell the story all the time. I've never I've never got a gig based off of I've and I've never hired anybody on a gig based off of their musical degree. Okay. So it's like, you know, either you can play or you can't play, stuff like that. So, um, no, I ended up being a, a um, business administration major, actually. Okay. So how did you end up becoming a professional musician? Um, I interned for a major label in college and ended up working at the label and became a session player, initially mostly doing jingles and stuff, play on a crap load of jingles. And it just kind of transformed into something else over the years. Um, and with me ending up being a um, musical director for a whole lot of folks playing on a lot of different records and different things like that, which I laugh all the time. Like one of my first times seeing going to Tennessee State's homecoming, I remember the band playing an arrangement of Freddie Jackson's You Are My Lady. It mm -hmm. would have been an 85. And years later, I ended up being Freddie Jackson's musical director. Wow. Or, or, or you know, I, tunes that, uh, most of those tunes, oddly enough, that were popular then, I would say maybe at some point over my career, I've been the musical director for most of those 80 and early 90 artists. Okay, so let's just put it out there. It's, it's time to name drop. <laughs> who who have you who have you been musical director or have performed for? Gotta let the people know. Oh man, I'm getting old. I can't think about that. Uh, musical director, of course, Freddie Jackson, the group After Seven, Angela Wimbush, Phil Perry, oh, God, I, I'm Glenn Jones. And this is for musical director, not not like session musician or touring musician, right? Well, your musical director is basically over all things music with those artists. Okay. So I do everything from pick the band, rehearse the band, do the arrangements for the band. Um, I mean, I've got a team of guys, talented guys that I use in Nashville that, that can come up with some really creative stuff. So, you know, it's just it's basically all things musically. So, but yes, you know, I, Kirk Franklin, Aretha Franklin, shoot, I mean, I could, if you could name it I could probably I probably you know most about 90 percent of 80s to 90s music I probably at some point either worked or toured with right because I was like let's just put it out there let's just let's just name names <laughs> yeah. I know you are a humble guy you you're you're a humble guy at least you you appear that way to me and I know you're gonna be like oh I can't think of all these people but but you um, know what you really you really trust can't. me <laughs> you, you know, you 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 really can't, to be honest with you. you. You get to a point, and I think now, especially as as I get older, you just kind of forget the people that you work for and stuff like that. I've always said one of the things that I hated about myself was that I didn't take a whole lot of pictures. Like I've I've always with my musicians, you know, we treat 
I happen to treat artists as if we are contemporaries and not fans. So mm-hmm. we clock in at the airport, we go to work, we go to sound check, we do the show, we come home and feed our families. So I don't do, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not that guy and I don't hire, hire musicians that are, you know, up in the artist's face all the time and trying to be buddy, buddy, buddy. And I've had some really long-term tenures with artists taking that approach and stuff like that. So, um, mm-hmm. so you also have cut some albums, like solo albums, correct? Um, yeah, I've done. I just dropped that. Um, I've had I've I've had my own um, solo success. Really, I was just thinking. Um, I've got a project that I shelved a couple of years ago that that I probably should drop now since we we haven't been touring because of COVID. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I've I've did the smooth smooth jazz thing for a while and stuff like that, and had a little success there. And you know, it may be time to go back and and dip into the water again. I just got so busy with this last After Seven project that kind of slipped us, slipped up on us. Um, it ended up having, I think we had five top tens off the last record. So it just kind of put my personal stuff on the back burner. And I have to be very honest with you too. Maybe one of, I think one of the reasons too why I haven't put out a solo record in such a long time is I can't figure out how to monetize instrumental music right now okay because it is it's so accessible now versus 10 years ago you know if you wanted 15 years ago you would have to physically go in a brick and mortar store and pick up a product a physical product you know if you wanted to you know listen to instrumental music or smooth jazz you know you would have a a CD binder or a physical album or, and today for what instrumental music is worth to the average Joe consumer, it's just let me go to XYZ internet channel and they just play random background music and stuff like that. So uh, it's been a struggle for me to go on and get this next record out, but I want to go and do it because I was able to, a lot of the people that I've been musical director for over the years, I have singing on the record now. So, I mean, I've got a Phil Perry or Angela Wimbush or Freddie Jackson singing on the record now. So, you know, I, I think it's time to maybe go on and get it out. You've had like a great musical career. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how do you think Tennessee State, like being in the aristocrat of bands, how do you think that that really prepared you for your success today? Oh, like it, it most definitely prepared me because we were, you know, I was thinking about this a, a couple of days ago, Olive. You know, we we weren't necessarily the... Well, let me put it, I never thought anybody could outplay us. We may, you know, we, we were, field show may have been a little uh, at times or something like that, but as far as like flat foot playing, mm-hmm. I felt like we could play with the best of them and we had something for everybody. And the band was, you know, the band was extremely diverse when it came to musical content and stuff like that. And it just really opened my ears up to some things that I probably wouldn't have been exposed to had I gone to other programs and stuff like that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. So do you have any like last parting words? Cause we're going to go ahead and close it on out, but do you have any advice, any, you know, words of wisdom? Um, I, you know, I just always tell people, just do it. Don't wait on it. Just go on and do it. Like don't, you're never going to figure it out and get it done. Just, 
figure it out while you're getting it done. You know, a lot of people, well, how do you, you know, how do you open a business or how do you do, you know, how did you end up playing with such and such? And, you know, I'm just like, don't wait on work, go on and create the work and let the work come to you and stuff like that. So, and, you know, always be prepared. You know, you know, there's nothing worse than getting the opportunity to do something and you're not properly prepared to to pull it off. Mm -hmm. Well, all right, my friend. It has been awesome talking to you. Hadn't talked to you in a while, but, you know, it's always good to hear your voice. So thank you for doing this. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Like I said, call me anytime. Let me know if you need anything. You have listened to the HBCU Band Experience with Christy Walker. Interviews and editing conducted by yours truly, Dr. Christy Walker. The music is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. And you can find this podcast on hbcubandexperience.podbean.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Take care.